just imagine him as a bald child putting his thumb in his mouth and blowing <laughs> and play doh hair. <laughs> so gross. It's so funny. <laughs> Welcome to About Bloody Time, where we travel back in time to interview 70s rock stars. I locked mine in a wardrobe. It's probably not the weirdest thing you've got in there, to be honest. No, I've got Danny DeVito in my loft. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah. what, what are we talking about this episode, Ames? This episode, we're talking about Daisy Jones and the Six. And as always, there's plenty of spoilers ahead. <laughs> Daisy Jones and the Six is the mockumentary style book that follows the rise and fall of a sadly fictional rock band. Daisy is your stereotypical rich girl. She has no real direction or dreams until one day she decides that she's sick of being amused for men and starts a rocky ascent into the world of music. And across America, an up-and-coming rock band is fronted by the perfectionist Billy Dunn, who struggles with addiction to drugs, sex and rock and roll versus the love of a wife and his future. Whenever I look at Daisy Jones and the Six, I get like this giddy feeling, you know, the physical book. Maybe I'm messed up, but I think (laughs) Daisy Jones just gives me this weird, like, fuzzy feeling. And I like that about books, when you can look at them and be like, oh, I want to reread that again and feel those things again. It's a very easy adventure to go on because it's so um, well written. I mean, in a creative way, it's got such an interesting narrative style. Like It has. I don't think I've seen this narrative style before. I don't know if it's a common thing for the author. I found it difficult, but also kind of enjoyed it because I could really see the documentary playing out in my head. It has, an unreli- has lots of unreliable narrators as well, and I think that's really good. I like it because although it, I find the name confusion a little bit difficult, like because some people are only coming in every now and then, I'd kind of forgotten what they did. But oh, I yeah. like the fact that they're all sort of contradicting each other because it builds a, well, it paints a better picture of the characters and what was actually happening at the time. Actually, the best example of that is when um, Daisy and Billy spoilers I've warned you um they kiss (laughs) after Daisy says that she leaves first but Billy says that he left first and it does leave doubt in the mind of the reader did they actually leave and who's telling the truth and it's a very interesting way of doing it it is and it makes the characters much more believable yeah because they're not just being their best selves like everyone else has the chance to say yeah, Billy's got an ego and he's a narcissist in a way and he's very controlling. And Daisy's just like, airy fairy does what she wants. I love how you see the change of perception between the character's sense of self and the people around. So it's common for people to go, oh, Billy left because Daisy annoyed him or Billy left because Daisy want- he wanted Daisy kind of thing. But then mm. it turns out in his head he's like, Uh uh-oh, drugs here, bye-bye. It says a lot about how people see each other as well. I think you had the, to be honest, if we're talking about narrative style, I think you definitely had the better experience listening to it rather than reading it. I think so, but like you said before, there was a bit of name confusion. I'm one of those people that can't tell voices well, 
So for a long time at the very beginning of the book, I thought Billy and Graham, they, they kept on getting muddied in my head because they, they were, were introducing... From the little bit that you played me, they are very similar. I, I thought that Graham was a little... He had a slightly deeper voice and he was slightly more Southern, but there was very little between them. Mm, it didn't help that they were all introduced pretty much at the same time and they were just going back and forth a lot of the time and I'm um, at the very beginning by the end I got my head around it but like I knew that Warren was the stoner sounding dude and uh, Daisy was obviously the husky husky woman and Karen had a higher pitched voice but the thing is it was difficult so difficult at the beginning that I'm gonna have to re-listen just so that I know that certain points were genuinely Billy or Graham at one point I thought that Billy was the one who grew out his hair and Graham was the one who whirled denim. Oh, no. But it turned out it was the other way around. So Billy has short hair. Graham, Billy has short hair and denim. Graham has mm-hmm. the hair, I think. <laughs> I, I think Graham confused. was bigger as well, wasn't he? He was like more muscular. Whereas In my head, he was. Slimmer. In my head, he was the older brother. That's how confused I was. It was a little bit confusing. It's one that lends itself well to both formats. Yeah, I think you have to have one and the other. Like, you definitely should listen to it first, because that is the experience that you have to have. Um, but I think you should have the, se- uh, the the book as well as reference. I'm probably going to download it at some point. Um, I've got a little bit of a list going on to both read and listen to. But once I've got a spare credit, I'll probably download it and listen yeah. to it. Because from voice... what you've said and the other reviews that I've seen, it looks quite good. It sounds like it's going to be quite good. The voices weren't what I was expecting. Because I knew the cast list before uh, for the Amazon Prime series before I listened to it. And I was expecting these younger voices. But then looking back, it makes a lot more sense for them to be older, obviously. Yeah. But, um who is your favourite character? I really liked Karen. And she was quite no-nonsense. And she was... I don't know. I sort of see a few similarities between me and her. Just that she's... She just wears what's comfortable and Turtleneck goes and about her thing. Well, not flip-flops. You know, I hate flip-flops. Do you like turtlenecks? No, because they choke me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Just like if you... It's just a comfy style. She's not showing off for any guys. Um, she's not trying to be the femme fatale of the group or anything or feels that she needs to play up to be sort of acceptable in the rock scene. I think she just she was... does her job and enjoys it. I think she was the most explicit feminist. I think she was the only active feminist. You know, someone who actually thought about the the idea, whereas Daisy and Camilla, none of, neither of those were actively seeking out feminism whereas Karen was looking up to Daisy as a feminist icon yeah I think Camilla and Daisy just sort of went about their business and they did there was a lot of feminism and they were kind of both ideal female characters in that respect but I think, I think they thought about it a bit less well they're saying I... that Daisy seemed to think about it quite a lot that she wasn't going to be other people's muses and she wanted yeah. to do her own thing I think that's more of a, a mummy and daddy problem, though. I don't think it was a sex problem. Um, she just didn't want to be 
I don't think she saw herself as a woman. I think she saw herself as a person. And that's not like active feminism in the way I'm describing. I think Karen was actively working towards feminism, but Daisy was just there already. You know what I mean? You know, when you yeah. wake up one morning and you find yourself, you already are. Whereas they, Karen is explicitly like, I look up to this person, I do this for this reason, and she's justifying everything she does in the view, with the lens of feminism. And I liked that she wasn't painted to be abnormal for what, not wanting children and going through with that. Even exactly. when the other characters are talking about the situation and Graham's understandably upset about it, she's not made out to be a freak for doing it. In soaps and TV shows and stuff, they tend to punish women who have abortions. Either the woman ends up regretting it and weeping all over the place, or it turns out she can't have a baby after that and another baby ever again, or something like that. There was none or, of that. It was just accepted as part of who she was and what she wanted from life. And at the very end, she's like, I'm happy I didn't have kids. It was good. It was okay for Camilla and Daisy. They wanted them, but I lived the life that I want. And I like that Camilla supports her with it. Somebody that yeah. obviously is very happy being a mother. And yeah. that's right for her. She doesn't make Karen sort of regret her decision or think about it too much or no. say, oh, but I'm so happy and you'd be so happy. And on the topic of feminism, Karen doesn't have many sort of quotable bits um not in the same sense that people like billy and daisy do but i really liked um her quote men often think they deserve a sticker for treating women like people yeah that's a really good quote um and it still stands up like in the 70s and in the 2020s yeah it's a very um translatable quote all right so enough about karen um if it's a silly question I don't think I need to ask it but who was your favorite character why is it a silly question (laughs) because I know who's been cast in in this because you've told me how dare you it's not just about the casting I promise is it not um my favorite character is Billy and (laughs) he's my favorite character because he's dysfunctional and I love dysfunctional characters and Sam Claflin's his actor. Well, he's he's not too on the nose. I think the problem with Karen is that she kind of beats you around the head with her meanings and stuff. Whereas Billy's more nuanced. You know, he's there. He's he's an addict. He's he's got well, he has got the best quotes, and he he you can empathize with him a lot more than other characters so you can't empathize with daisy pretty much at all karen you can empathize a little bit with but she hits you around the head with her you know what she represents and she's not that big a character as she is when you think about it billy and daisy are the main characters and everyone else is just a side character to support their story yeah and billy billy is um more complicated than Daisy. Daisy's uh it like in one song he it's like you can't hold her or something in one of the lyrics. She's not really there and you sort of you know, she's not real kind of thing. She, mm. you get that feeling 
in the story that she is so unrealistic. I mean, that's what her whole thing is. But Billy, he is grounded. He's got a terrible childhood. He's made terrible choices based on his fear of reliving a terrible childhood. That kind of thing. And he really grows throughout the book. Yes. And when you look at the... It's a smallish book. It's not it's not like a huge saga. And the growth in the characters in just that small amount of space is amazing. Yeah, and he his addiction his he's a, an addictive person. I he's like people get addicted to him, but he's himself an addict and I mean it in more than just the drugs and the drink and the sex and the rock and roll stuff, which was his problem to begin with. But it later became his addiction was to love. And to his family. His family, yeah. And a to lot Camilla. of people do that, don't they? They swap one addiction for another. And yep. thankfully, he just chose a slightly healthier one. And Eddie, has, Eddie made loads of, like, made a point that all of his albums, all of his songs, until Daisy came along, were about Camilla because he was addicted to Camilla. Um, and then uh, later on, he becomes addicted to Daisy and that's when things become wrong for the story, like, go wrong for them. Um, I really like, he, like, he's got the best quote in the whole book about addiction and it's quite chunky, but um, it goes along the lines of, you have those lines you won't cross, but then you cross them and suddenly you possess the very dangerous information that you can break the rule and the world won't instantly come to an end. You've taken a big, black, bold line and you've made it a little bit grey. And now every time you cross it again, it just gets greyer and greyer until one day you look around and you think, there was a line here once, I think. Beautiful quote. I really like that quote. Because it, it you can relate to it like even if you just do minor things in your life you get away with it you do it again it sums up the thought process you don't have to be an addict or have these demons to relate to that quote no and I think that's what makes it so easy to relate to an addict in this book as opposed to in other books you know, addicts tend to be doubled over a toilet, or like in train spotting. You can't relate to those characters, but in this, you can because they make quotes like that, and you're like, oh, I see where they're coming from now. It helps you to get into their head a little bit and to understand things because if you've never been in their situation, you it's not like you can just put yourself in it and understand what they're going through. Mm. that helps because you can think oh well yeah there was that time I did this and because there was no instant consequence I felt like I did it again again. it's like um adultery which I think is partly what the quote was about (laughs) adultery um staying home from school (laughs) that kind of thing you you call in from home saying oh I'm sick um because maybe you were sick that day then and when the, the secret school like... police don't turn up knocking on your door saying you're not sick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're just like, okay, I can get away with this again and again and again until it does become a problem. And they see that pattern, but you, in your head, you there is no line now. 
no, don't it's have not to go to school. Anymore. It's just a part of your personality and behaviour in a way, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, from favourite characters to the worst characters, what is your okay. worst character? Um, Eddie really annoyed me just because he was such a slimy douche. Yeah, he was it was just like, like he couldn't have been there. He and he does. Um, there's. Well, he's a producer now, isn't he? <laughs> in the future, and he yeah. just. And he is a stereotype of any big industry like that, but he's so well done that you he doesn't have to say a lot for you to dislike him. But he also yeah, has he, a very good point. He ha- yeah he only has a few lines and but after. Like and you hate him when he's saying them, but when he comes, when he, you hate him when he's saying those lines, the few lines that he does have, but when um someone comes up afterwards and says, "Oh yeah, Billy was being a douche, Eddie was right," blah blah blah, and you're like, "Okay, no, it's not just Eddie that doesn't like this or that; it's everyone." Eddie's just wording it. Badly, you know, he's, but wording it. He's, well, he's saying it for other people, and other people are just like, eh, I guess we were being walked all over. And um, it's Eddie has a point, but Eddie is a knob. <laughs> yeah, he's not. He's not very nice. I feel like he was only still in the band because he wanted the money. <laughs> well, he practically says that that he's just there for the sex drugs drugs and rock and roll isn't he and when billy starts like changing his sound into songs about camilla he doesn't like that because he wants to be a rock rock star yeah he wants to abuse the power of the rock as opposed to pop which is what he keeps on saying he keeps on saying this isn't rock this is pop (laughs) but um, he's yeah he's just that character isn't he yeah my worst character was nico though Yes. Yeah. Eddie's bearable because he has a point. And he hasn't done anything explicitly bad. (laughs) But Nico's just awful. And every time he's mentioned, you just want to be like, oh, go away. He's a nightmare. He squares up to Billy. He, um, when Billy tries to kind of be nice to Daisy, which is rare. It's rare he's nice to Daisy. But when he does try and be nice to Daisy, he immediately gets cut into and, like, there's definitely a fight on the horizon, but it doesn't work out. Nico is a possessive, abusive mob. He is. He's just an awful person. And unfortunately, there are people like that out there and oh, yeah. that do leech off of these famous people. He leeched off Daisy. He took all of her money and kept her. She, he kept her so high, so that he could just leech off of her. And it's just that actually it gave me one of the worst moments as well. It just really shook me to the core when uh, they had a fight and in that hotel room, mm-hmm. and that earring came out. Oh, oh that made me cringe. I could almost oh. feel it happening, and I was just like, oh. I've never had that before. But I think, ooh, that's the reason why I don't wear big hoop earrings. It just yeah. m- makes you vulnerable to, 
losing your earlobe. (laughs) Um, He's quite cleverly written because he's like the definition of coercive control. But it made me really sad when Daisy sort of half remembers telling him that she's not happy and half remembers almost overdosing and him not doing anything. Yeah, and she, um, he just yeah. he's like, no, no, shush, love, it's okay, and like doses her up a bit more, and then continues like nothing's happened. Every time she, but a lot of men do that in her life. Um, Hank or something. When uh, she said, "I'm no," she said, "I'm not happy to Hank," and he goes, "Oh yeah, right," and then he just appears the next day, and it was only like the third time she says it or something he finally gets the picture and he's like Mm -hmm. okay so then he takes the private jet away he does like really like it's really abusive that he takes all of their backing band and the uh all of the roadies and stuff he takes everyone away except the band itself it's just yeah it's terrible the way that she's treated but i think it's quite common in no it's not that it's about desperate for love even in fame she found no love and that's why i think she clung so hard to billy like she was desperate to have billy but she couldn't have him because he belonged to someone else that's actually a quote in the song isn't it yeah and she understands that as well but she doesn't hold it against the other people because she she loves him enough that she wants him to be happy, even though it's making her sad. I think it's more Camilla that has that kind of Billy's best interest at heart. And I think everyone knows that Camilla is the only one who can save Billy from himself just, in just a way. Killing himself with drugs. Because if he gets. I feel like Camilla is his anchor. She is, and, and she's um, such a strong character in herself that she can, she lets Billy do these things and she has enough faith in him that he's going to come back and he's going to sort of get himself straight. And he does so eventually. Billy himself mentioned how um, it doesn't matter if one cheats on the other so or keeps a secret from the other. It just matters that um, when they come back, they don't hurt each other with the truth you know what I mean so like when he kissed Daisy he made no mention of it after to Camilla because he knew that it would hurt her and instead he just tried not to do it again and um and then he used the reference point of when she went Camilla herself went to see an old friend and he knew that she had slept with him but because they didn't talk about it he was okay with it. It's quite a grown-up relationship that they have, and like, that Camilla has with a lot of other characters as well. Yeah, she's very supportive of all the other women, especially. Yes, and that's what I like about it. She doesn't start a rivalry, a rivalry with Daisy, or doesn't treat Daisy terribly. It's in a lot of in a lot of books no matter how many different varieties of women that you have, and all three of them are very different and very realistic, um, you usually have the jealousy and the rivalry between the two or two points of the love triangle in a way. Yeah. Um, but 
despite everything and despite what Camilla knows has probably happened and it is going on between she and Billy, she doesn't treat Daisy any less and she still supports her. Like that scene where she goes to Daisy's hotel room. Yeah. She doesn't walk away. She doesn't leave her. She goes there and she sits with her and she's just kind and supportive. I think, yeah, I love the bit where it revealed how mis- how much misunderstanding had been between everyone, though. Because when Camilla sat down and told Daisy, oh, this song you wrote, it's my favourite song, even though I know it's about Billy. And she's like, it's not about Billy. It's about you. It's about being a mother. And Camilla's sudden, and it's so lovely to hear that Daisy, like, there's this mis- this misunderstanding between the only misunderstanding between the women is about the men and when they and they talk about it like adults even though Daisy's like I think she's high at the time or so drunk that she can barely stand up because she tried to get into her own bedroom and she couldn't um yeah. came out to that... help her and then stayed because she realized that she was in a bad place she she trusts her enough to bring her baby Julia in and cuddle, let her cuddle up with her. Like, it's the cutest thing ever. And I think that scene actually kind of took the brunt out of what Camilla then told her. Camilla gave Daisy an ultimatum in that scene. And because it was such a lovely scene, it didn't feel as hurtful as it probably would have been. Well, it wasn't the traditional showdown, was it? No, it was. in most books, you would have had you would have had a screaming cat fight and yeah. the man would have been made to choose. Mm. Instead, it's Camilla chose for all of them because Camilla is the only one who's sober. Jesus, um, at that point, when they were having the discussion, I feel like they were forgetting, they forgot about the man involved. Because He's down Billy, at the bar, isn't he? Billy was at the bar. He was struggling so... That's proof that Camilla was right because of this conflict Billy was genuinely on the cusp it was only because of another man that small kindness from a stranger it's only because of that that he didn't jump off the ledge so to speak he took a sip and then that bloke was like "Ah, I'm gonna take your drink over here it's just how he I really like the way that scene played out and again it was really like immersive book it shouldn't have been because it reads like a script but you could really imagine it happening and how he just slid that drink away from Billy yeah I can't wait to that's one of the scenes I really want to see um when they do the Amazon Prime series I really want them to do it so that while one thing's happening the other is because if they don't cut the scenes between them and they just have it like a slog here and a slog there, you're not going to get the effect. You're not going to understand that while they were discussing Billy's future for him, he was about to destroy it. And it was only because of someone else that he was saved. And I like that. Yeah, one of my favourite bits, actually. Well. You've just made me realise it's one of my favourite bits. Um a lot of my favourite bits are Billy's best bits, as I've written here. <laughs> um, well, it's, it's, as it gets towards the end of the book, I began to like it more. Throughout the book, I was thinking, 
it's a three star for me. I don't hate it, but I don't particularly love it. And it was only as it started wrapping up that I thought, actually, no, this, and I gave it an extra star. Good. It's it's one of those stories that, you know, hangs with you. Not in it a is, bad and the way. more I've thought about it to prep for this episode and talk to you about it, the more I realised I liked it and that I'd absorbed a lot more than I thought I had. Yeah. What was your favourite moment? It's it's a little bit cheesy, but I really liked the end where Julia gives, um, or Julia tells everyone Kim. about the letter from Camilla oh, that gives Billy yeah. permission to be with Daisy to allow him to move on that's sweet the letter situation did um give you pause for thought because it's a woman who was so possessive over him is like I know that you were both in love and I know that I was the thing in the way here you go here's the key to being together now that you're both more mature you're more put together I think the only time that she would have let Billy go to Daisy was if she Daisy herself was in the right place. And I think she understood that Billy probably wouldn't have done it on his own. He'd have continued to mourn her and grieve and feel that he wasn't worthy for that. So she knew that that was like another thing that she had to, in a way, get him to do or give him permission for. Yeah. Her last bit of permission for him was you can move on that's really sweet it is because I think he would have grieved and he would have he wouldn't have moved on he'd have just stayed where he was and not necessarily been happy alone but he's very judgmental of himself and he doesn't feel he's a worthy person I think he would have either fallen back into you know drugs and drink or he would have fallen into the addiction of his children because his addiction doesn't just span Camilla, but it spans his children as well. And if he's addicted to his children, he's not going to let them, you know, do anything. They're not going to be able to live their life. And I think that's best for everyone if he is allowed yeah. to spread his wings. Rather Gives him than the just... opportunity to be happy. Yes. And not feel bad for it, because he would have twisted it into something that he's a terrible person for feeling happy after Camilla's gone. Yeah, he he has a habit of beating himself up. It's most of my favourite bits, my favourite moments are when he's beating himself up or doing something stupid. Like my favourite bit being where he leaves the party when Daisy's dancing on glass mm. and everyone thinks, oh, it's because he doesn't like her because, you know, she's showing him up or whatever. And no, it's actually because he wants to be that happy he wants to be so high that he doesn't care and he acknowledges how terrible it is but he still feels like he's missing out yeah and then he twists that into how he's broken an awful human being for feeling that way yeah proof that you know he's a very complicated character that needs more respect (laughs) from the others I think he's fighting his own battles and while he's fighting those battles, other people are fighting against him and they don't realise why. No, and they see him as a bit of a bore that he's holding them all back because he's made a very difficult decision not to drink or do drugs. 
it's like you for example you when you're at a party if someone comes up to you and goes oh can I have a drink and you're like no I don't want to and they're like oh okay then loser (laughs) I know story of my life and it's just if I don't want to drink I'm not going to drink um Mm. and I see that in Billy in a way because people are just like oh he's so boring and (laughs) Why? What's the point of being a rocker if you're not going to do all of this? Is that kind of thing? Because he but did all constantly... that enough for a lifetime, didn't he? Well, he did, but he's always in the danger zone. He can never take himself away from it, and everyone else is doing it around him. And he's in an industry where that is the given, isn't it? Especially in that yes. time. It's not like he's retiring to his study and he's just going to sit and brood for the evening. No, he's he retires there all the time. He returns to his hotel room and sits and broods. <laughs> just, just FYI. <laughs> no, I know, but you know what I mean. It's constant. He can never take himself away from it. They're doing drugs in the studio. They're doing drugs backstage. All the audience yeah. are doing drugs. And like they, they said in, at one point that, oh, I think at the tour, the he would leave the party early just so that he could call Camilla. Like she was her, his AA. Thingy. His sponsor. His sponsor. Like he was, she was his sponsor, but I think that's what made him addicted to her in a way. Because. Well, she kept him grounded. Yeah. Gave and it was the only thing. to be doing all of this. Yeah. I did hate her at one point, though. I did. I, I think it's more representative of me because looking back at her and everything she did and said and, you know is the exact reason why Billy was alive. But when he came back from the tour so that she, when she was having the kid, I felt resentment to her because she was holding him back. And when she threatened him, like, I know it makes perfect sense for her to give her an ult- him an ultimatum. I'm going to have this kid. I'm happy to raise it on my own if you don't want to. That's a perfectly good ult- ultimatum. And but it was worded, go to rehab or don't see your kid, and that's also a reasonable thing. But when you're that the, far into the drugs, it, as a reader, I've like as someone who hadn't had much exposure to these characters yet, my instinct was to be defensive for Billy. I think she's cleverly written because she's set up as a character to dislike that's in the way of their fame and glory and Billy's happiness and she's completely not and it's only as the story progresses that you realise yeah she is quite tough and she knows what she wants and how to get it from people but she's not doing it for her own gain or anything she just wants her family to be happy and that extends to most of the six from what I read in the books well the the thing is I think the thing that started me off not liking her was when Karen described her with this swooning adoration where she said, oh, what Camilla wants, she gets. One day we wanted burgers for breakfast, which is ridiculous. No, don't have burgers for breakfast. So gross, the idea of having that in the morning. <laughs> but she, like, they were like, oh, we wanted burgers for breakfast. And she said, oh, I'll cook them instead of getting them out. So she went to the shop. And when she came back, she had bacon and eggs. And she said, ah, they didn't have any meat. So we've got the bacon and eggs and uh, I'll make pancakes. And it's like, okay, so you've kind of manipulated your way in. And that's 
kind of manipulation put me on my uh back I leg. felt the same that's the exact bit that I was thinking of when I when I said she was written in a way that you thought you were going to dislike her and that she was going to be not the bad guy but the bad guy yeah and then when you actually look back and you're like no burgers for breakfast is actually awful and they enjoyed what they did get and if she's cooking it of course she gets to choose what's going to be eaten and she doesn't make a fuss about it she no she just does it in a start a fight or i get what um, i want and you get to be happy way and they were happy um what was your worst moment i mean i mentioned mine was the earring just the whole nico bit he was he just was domestic abuse basically number Um, one like example prime example and when i say it's my worst moment it's not that it's badly written i didn't think any of the book was badly written there was no No. bit that felt out of place or wrong in the book it was just written well enough that made you feel uncomfortable for daisy and you wanted her to get away but it's it's, like court scenes makes me go Yeah, and it's clever because it's she doesn't get away until she realises that she needs to and that this yeah. isn't what she wants. And that's really realistic. And yeah. that's part of what I like about the book. It's everybody's flawed and complicated and it's realistic. Nobody's a perfect character. Yeah, and when you're listening to it, you expect like Billy or someone else to step in and help her. But no, she has to help herself. She does. It would have gone gone on forever. She can't think, end it until she realizes that it's abusive. I think if if someone like Billy or someone else stepped in too far, or Simone stepped in too far, I think they would have uh, ended up pushing her to, closer towards Nico. Because the whole reason she went with Nico was because she wanted to have what Billy had with Camilla. Because if she couldn't have Billy, she wants. She wants acceptance, that's the thing. She, um, she wants a version of him. And she, she wants her own Billy, doesn't she? And she thought she, she wants, found that. And it turns out that he was an utter knob. I mean, Billy's a knob, but he's her knob, for example. <laughs> that sounds wrong. <laughs> so, he, he's her Billy Dunn. But because she, he's also Camilla's Billy Dunn, she can't have Billy Dunn. No, um, she recognises that, and she doesn't drive a wedge between him and Camilla or make Billy the, choose. The thing is with her upbringing, her upbringing was the prime example of uh, a future a victim for um, because she was raised by people who saw her as an, a, a party trick, something to bring out for old men, oh, old men to coo over and paint and write books about, like creepy stuff especially in the current you know everyone knows now about what was happening back then in Hollywood (laughs) it's like oh okay no wonder she's got problems she doesn't know what love is because she's been adored her whole life and she was almost her parents status symbol wasn't she like oh ta-da look what we've done they they like made a mention of like old men swimming over her and it's like no one wants that and then she lost her virginity when she was young she didn't like she described how she didn't really know 
what she was getting into when she did the, all that stuff. Mm. And she was used as arm candy for a while. And it's just, she do, doesn't ever feel like she is a person in those situations. No, but she, when she's yeah. never really her own self, is she? Not until, until she, she realises that she doesn't want to be somebody else's muse. No. Um, music helped her, I think. Um, but then, obviously, she kept on getting what she wanted. And when she when she hit the music scene, she realised that she couldn't get everything she wanted. Uh, all of her managers were like, oh, these stories, like, these songs you've written are all half done. Go away <laughs> and sing the cover album just do it and it takes a long time but she actually does do the cover album and because of that she meets someone she meets Billy Billy who reads her book of songs and says they're half done and because she respects him mm. that's when she finally starts to learn power of um, being your own person and music I think it's not just yeah. drugs it's and rock and roll it's yeah. And she, she finishes the song. She grows, doesn't she? She's not a spoilt little madam that just gets her own way all the time. I think she grows only... through every person she meets. She does, and it's having that acceptance. She, she yes, acceptance. She she starts getting acceptance with Simone, but she doesn't see it as that because the only acceptance she really perceives is the acceptance of men. Mm. Um, because Simone has always been there for her and Daisy rarely seems to think about her and when she's like oh I want to be accepted and stuff you're sat there listening to it or reading it going but you are accepted you are loved um, Simone herself said look at all this look at a map of the world and imagine the lights uh, a and light there's us in two LA. blinking at the same time yeah, that and that person is um, that person loves you, and it's so sweet. And it's like, is and how supportive she is, and she's obviously going through her own things as well. Yeah, and she's so accepting of Daisy, but she doesn't understand that. Not until Billy rejects her does she understand that Simone accepts her. But then still, she ends up getting driven to Nico. Hmm. Ugh. He never accepted her. He accepted her wallet. Yeah. And Some the status prince. that she afforded him. He claimed he was a prince. Oh, I'm a you know, prince. They don't have a monarchy there. <laughs> no, you, you might have the name, but none of the associated stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so overall, about the book, Let's do the star rating. How much out of five? I gave it four out of five. Out I didn't. Five. As I was reading it, I it didn't feel like a book I'd read again. But then oh. the more I think about it, the more I liked it, and especially the ending, the way it wrapped everything up. Yeah. And it didn't feel like a letdown. Yeah, yeah. Because I expected I'm... there to be more epilogue, if you see what I mean. When because at the be- from the beginning, from the blurb, you know that the story is going to end. But I didn't expect it to take so long for the story to end. I thought a lot of it would be their rise to fame and then 
the six split up and then it's going to be all their problems afterwards no nah, i didn't i wouldn't have liked it if that were the case but i loved it i'm gonna say five stars oh i'm glad you liked it yeah it's easy to read as well it is and i'm gonna listen to it at some point definitely and then we're going to have a, a watch fest you and i are going to sit down and watch the uh, series now for our little activity today is oh my god design your own 70s rock star or your yes. own 70s alter ego okay so walk me through it i guess you've got to name it give it a role what's its iconic outfit what's its tragic backstory or faith and fatal flaw first album name okay so. let me introduce you to dax star child dax is a roadie because he's only got like middling talent but a great sense of self-importance his iconic outfit i want to go glam rock but i think i'm gonna have to go with like traditional rock not double triple or quadruple denim i just um, imagine the denim vest a black denim vest that's frayed at the edge have you seen that post on tumblr about freddie from scooby-doo about how his trousers are secretly an all-in-one oh my god okay. i just think that oh no <laughs> Okay, Dax Starchild, how could you? No, Dax isn't wearing that. Dax is wearing, like, classic rock. You think leather and, like, band tees and... Okay, I'm imagining That kind of stuff. What should his tragic backstory be? The chainsaw incident, what have I said? No, he doesn't have a chainsaw incident. Because otherwise I feel like he should be missing body parts or something. He's not missing body parts, someone else is. I can't have a serial killer. (laughs) <laughs> maybe it's his own mediocrity he looked like he was balding as a child yeah i don't think it has to be anything dramatic it can just be that balding what child it, rubs miracle grow on his forehead oh my god that's why his hair looks like that on his it's... forehead like a wig <laughs> that slipped down too far <laughs> so we got to dax's fatal flaw which I have decided is his own sense of self-importance, how he inserts himself into every situation. In reality, he's so far on the periphery, you can't see him. Hence why nobody knows who Dax Starchild is. I mean, guys, he was in The Six. So what was his first album name? See, Dax has this problem where he sounds a lot (laughs) like me. I mean, it's such a weird coincidence. So his first album is called Dax Starchild is not a woman. And his second (laughs) album? Dax can't do an American accent. How hubristic, no, narcissistic must you be (laughs) for your first albums to all be called Dash? He has to remind people who he is. Because no one seems to remember him in the six. No. How can you forget Dax? He's one of a kind. Do you want me to do one now? Yeah, of course I do. I think you're going to come up with someone... I mean, Dax is going to be hard to beat, but if anyone can do it, it's you. Well, mine's going to be called Jeremiah Gump. <laughs> but Jeremiah Gump is the front man of a band called Tootsies. <laughs> His iconic outfit involves okay. corduroy, a corduroy brown jacket with a yellow and white flowery shirt, purple trousers, flares, and oh, pointy, pointy, pointy suit shoes. And a big brown pair of aviators. Massive moustache. Just a big, sad moustache. Sometimes when he's happy, he'll kernel it. You know, bring it up and curl it up. Kernel it. I don't think that's how 
handlebar mustaches work. I think they're kind of <laughs> attached all the way to the bottom. You don't grow like a mustache and just comb it down and like glue it to your chin until you're ready to curl it up. That's what Jeremiah Gump does. Dax is starting to look like a much more functional member of society right now. <laughs> yeah. His tragic backstory <laughs> involves um, chainsaws too. Is he Dax's victim? He okay. he, he lost half of his moustache in the chainsaw incident. And an eye. And can he wear an eye patch? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. A brown corduroy eye patch. His fatal flaw is his crippling addition, addiction to crab sticks. Ew. Yeah. You he mean like the... 70s cocktail party food? Yeah. <laughs> his first album is called I Hung Out All My Clothes One Day. My wife told me to bring them back in because it's going to rain. I'm just impressed he's married. <laughs> his third album is The Kids Won't Shut Up, So I've Built Myself This Bed. <laughs> you made Dax sound normal. And now for the unreleased excerpt from Daisy Jones and the Six. Thanks for coming, Daisy. Oh. Um, do I know you? Sure you do. I'm, I'm Dex. Dex Starchild. Seventh member of the Six, and, and don't let them tell you otherwise. The... the what? Wait, wasn't that Daisy? That's what they want you to think. If it weren't for me, there'd be no numbers tour. I was who that impossible something was written about. Impossible woman? Hmm, that's the one. I inspired a ton of those songs. You know that? Uh-huh. Y- you know, one night Billy asked me to stand in for him, but I was busy with roadie stuff. My dad did not. Your? Uh-huh. And I think my dad, Billy Dunn, would know who he wrote those songs for. Don't tell him Dex Starchild was here. <sighs> Roadies. So, it's finally time. I've resisted telling you all about Red Rising until this moment, because that's my reading suggestion for this month. And I'm suggesting Me Before You. I know that you read it years ago, but you've admitted to yourself that you can't remember it. I really can't, and I don't know how much story I'm pulling from my memories, or how much I'm just getting from what I know happens in the advert for the movie. Don't forget that you can find us on Instagram at About Bloody Time Pod, where we'll keep you up to date with our show. And on Tumblr, also at About Bloody Time Pod, where you can send in suggestions and join in with activities.